The medical field is held in high regard around the world as the place where the experts are who address this very sensitive and essential aspect of our lives, our health. The doctor knows best. It's a philosophy that goes back more than a century, and in many cases, for good reason. Medicine has helped us to improve and prolong life. But there's another aspect to this world that you might have also experienced, the one where you as a patient aren't privy to important information about yourself. The professional tells you what's going on and what you need to do, and your job as a patient is to listen and agree. The internet, still relatively young in this whole uh, world history, has recently not done much to change this relationship. Plenty of websites making lots of noise, but nothing credible and proven that helps you as a patient. But a new era may finally be upon us, one where patients have more information about their condition and the gap between doctor and patient is no longer such a one-way street. Nine years ago, famous UK engineer Tal Goldsworthy came up with a solution for his own heart condition based on knowledge he gained in his garden. Around the world, many people are following his example and taking or demanding more control over their own health. Today on the program, we look at a Berlin-based initiative that could further change how we approach our health. An open-source platform with case-specific data that makes language and statistics more understandable and accessible. How does it work? Why choose this path? And what does it mean for patients and doctors everywhere? Find out right now. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark von Sikkerrenderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. Uh, I'm Benjamin Dietrichsen. Uh, I'm a software engineer and the founder of OpenMediate. The whole thing started for me uh, as a personal story, uh, as a story of um, having myself a medical problem to solve. So I, after coming back from Mexico, where I did a volunteer service uh, for a year, um, I had this this weird pain in my back that kept on coming and it uh, annoyed me and it grew um, it grew worse over time and I had to deal with it and it took like uh, a year and a half until I found out what it was or some doctor told me it could be a form of rheumatism and as for today um, it seems like this diagnosis um, holds true so uh, I ended up receiving this this news about myself that I apparently have this incurable disease, if you want to put it in dramatic terms. You know, like I don't see it like that anymore. But when it when it came to me the news, then I felt like really anxious. You know, and um, what I found is that it is um, quite difficult to get you know the basic information about it. You might be lucky and have a doctor who, who takes the time and and actually is very knowledgeable uh, in, in dealing with a particular situation. Um, in my case, I wasn't that lucky um, and I didn't receive many of the information that I consider very valuable and that have helped me to, to deal with it as, as I'm dealing with it now. I feel quite happy with it. Um, and uh, so I did research and... and um, 
reading through medical papers, through forums, through medical literature on this particular disease. And I spent a lot of time on it. And uh, I had this random meetings with people where I had um, epiphanies. Somebody told me something that really helped me. And then I realized this could be done and facilitated through through a platform, you know, using technology and, and to get the, the knowledge that people have uh, into a form that can be spread. I think at this point, it's a well-known trap on the internet. Medical information is one of the worst served areas. I mean, if you research sunburn or even a, a splinter in less than three clicks, you'll probably learn you're going to have a horrible death in, in just a few minutes. How do we, how do we fix this? Currently, the medical information you find on the internet is very unstructured. It's basically text. And maybe there is some, um, you know, there's platforms that try to at least sort it into symptoms and group it to diseases and, and give some information that um, is more aligned with medical terminology. But still, when it comes to exchange of experience from users, then it's totally free of any structure. And this is definitely a problem. So when you when you want to look for medical information, um, you need to do that in a space or um, using using a data model that actually understands medical information um, to to make it more accessible. You you want you want statistics on on many things. Actually, I think um, we we approach this this huge domain of of different information best statistically, and I think this is how medical conditions are are found by just observing a large population and finding okay there's groups who have the same like phenotype of of disease so tell us about the programmer or software engineer approach to this problem which i think is going to be unique well i'm certainly approaching that from a programmer's perspective because um, it's it's what I do for a living. It's what I've been doing for the last ten years, and I do think that programming um, is a very creative and, and very nice like, uh, thing to do. And it's a, it's a way of thinking and approaching problems. I think it is very important to approach it that way because it's about um, managing large amounts of information, and that is what IT is all about. There's been like decades spent. By, by millions of people trying to figure out how to do that in an efficient way, how to get um, good information that can help you out of a large space of just data. And we, we do need um, a machine understandable model for the medical data to um, eventually have this machine help us find the, the items and the information that are relevant to us in this just vast space of, of medical information that would otherwise need like years to be explored by an individual. I think many of us are familiar with uh, the, the growing list of interesting platforms on the internet for organizing information, for finding information. How does yours or this one uh, itself takes shape? How does it become a platform? Uh, how does it work, essentially? I was just, um, you know, this feeling when there's the idea and it's so convincing. Um, and, and talking to some of my friends and, and just thinking about it over and over again, 
I just felt it's it's really something that can work that is you know for, made for this time we have the technology in place and um, we have these ideas of crowdsourcing and, and wisdom of crowds and and we have examples of of communities um, like creating something like Wikipedia and Khan Academy and all these platforms um, that are extreme good examples of, of great community effort. So I was just sure, okay, this, this can actually work. So I just set out and tried to write down what I think is necessary, what I find um, would be a vision for it, a goal, like what it could be in the end. And then slowly, slowly, I figured um, the smaller parts of it, things that could be done um, within a, a time frame that is not like somewhere in the future, but maybe next year or something. The thing that I was most interested in and, and what um, made me think a lot is the data model. Getting the data model right, I think, is very crucial to this whole endeavor. I just read about like how is a medical diagnosis done um, and I think I had a pretty good idea about it from the beginning because of me being an example case of it and because I had friends who who also have like to struggle with medical conditions that are chronic yeah I started uh, just drawing um, the first diagrams, trying to lay out the structure of it and speaking like, what is a symptom? How does that relate to a disease? Um, understanding uh, that an illness script is something that helps uh, a doctor to understand um, how to, you know, take decisions in terms of like, when a symptom is present or not, what should the other symptom that I look for be so that I eventually gravitate towards a decision whether the set of symptoms presented by a patient can belong to a certain disease or not. And there needs to be like a huge catalog of, of medical knowledge, like the, the, the common medical knowledge as, as created by, by medical science, basically, um, that we need to describe uh, the medical problems people have, the symptoms they have, uh, in a clear way. I was thinking about, okay, how could we use that data then eventually if we have those, uh, this, this model and if we get data from, from the users, um, what can we do with it? How can we match them? How can we um, you know, calculate the distance or similarity of two different people to finally find out, can they learn from each other and what do they have in common and, and what is the key information that we want to spread? And this is actually an ongoing thing. You know, I think um, in the end, um, I'm, I'm starting something that eventually needs a lot of expert knowledge from various domains. As you said, you need the expert knowledge. Uh, have you been able to get other kinds of professionals, especially that elusive group, the, the doctors, to join you in the designing of this platform? I'm happy to be able to say, yes, there is currently um, somebody who is a friend of mine who uh, is a doctor and um, 
is currently finishing his master degree uh, in public health that he studied in in uh, the Netherlands, and um, he he will actually um, do another iteration on this data model, and uh, we have been brainstorming on how to approach, let's say, the medical community, and um, it's very helpful to talk to him about it um, because it is it is difficult to find support there, not because they don't doctors or, or medical students don't believe in it, but they are extremely busy, but extremely busy. And um, yeah, I think that's one of the major problems. And it's been um, an open question for me where to find the med like people with medical knowledge with expert medical knowledge as from the from the common medical science who are available to support such a project. And I think it will be uh, in universities where there's either research projects going on, might be that you can team up to with somebody who's writing a PhD on it, or um, there's an assembly of medical students going to happen here in September, and we have contact with that and might be invited to speak there and see what happens. It's certainly uh, a promising sign that a, a medical professional is, is working alongside you and that others are paying attention and supporting you. But aren't you also still uh, challenging a well-established, highly protective group of people, uh, industry? Uh, isn't this, you know, where usually they say, hey, you're making a mistake, right? We're the experts. You're not. We're the doctors. We're the insurance companies. We're whoever we are. We know better. Uh, you seem like you're taking on a very big task here and there's going to be a lot of doors closed to you. Well, now, as you lay it out, I just come to think uh, that this is probably true for so many domains. There's always an establishment that doesn't want to change things. And it's always, there's always, I mean, it's convenient to uh, stay within the boundaries of the world that you have created and, um, stick to the rules that you think govern it um, because change always requires energy and effort. So it's not surprising that there is probably a lot of doctors that don't like it. Although I do have to say that um, many were open-minded when I talked about it. Um, but I also think that this change cannot happen from from one year to another. It's part of a larger process. And seeing so many, you know, digital health startups come up and uh, like uh, incubators specifically designed for for the e-health sector uh, coming into existence and everybody being so excited about it. I mean, I, I dislike the business opportunity um, part of it. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it, it seems like a whole bunch of people are getting it. And um, I think that is convincing by itself. And having this topic in the public media and in a public discourse like that will eventually uh, show why it is so important and, and what will be the benefits of it. And there will probably more projects to to be seen in that area showing it. And we will just continuously evolve to to see uh, what we can actually do with that um, empowered patient and, and, and 
you know, giving giving the chance to um, to the patients to participate in the entire process of of uh, dealing with health issues. Now, your project, uh, Open MediAid, it has a plan, uh, a step by step process to to finally launching the the platform. Uh, tell us where you are in that process right now. Yeah, so uh, on the website, I put it like we're still in the early concept phase. Uh, and I think um, we have progressed quite a bit. Um, we have uh, ideas about how to design uh, a side project, basically, about uh, creating this medical data model. So this is by itself um, an ambitious and challenging project. And uh, we are um, currently trying to find out um, how could the interface look like, where do, could we get the community involvement, where could we get the raw data that we eventually want to transform in a catalog of, of medical knowledge, taxonomy, ontology, right? Um, and there's, there's Richard, who is a bachelor uh, student um, writing his thesis about you know UX aspects of the project and um, turns out that we have uh, created a little tool um, that is actually um, also working on paper so we're paper prototyping the tool it's a medical mind map um, that is meant to display the dynamic aspects of, of health or, or disease in terms of how symptoms uh, affect each other, how treatment relates to symptoms, and like uh, in the in the medical realm, I learned recently that it's called like a system map, where you draw like a huge map of basically all the factors that you see that influence your situation um, regarding your health, and um, we want to um, do uh, we want basically implement that um, as a as a digital tool but we want to um, use the paper version to actually gather a lot of maps from different people and different communities and and I think like from testing it here with local like like locally with patients we felt that it's it's a fun process and it's actually something that people understand well and um, that does carry a value in itself and um, I think these are two bigger projects that we will approach. And as soon as we have um, more results there, we're gonna um, write some user stories and do some design. And uh, I'm personally focusing also on connecting with the community of programmers, so writing, putting together a technical stack that will be um, interesting for people to join. Um, and then we're gonna build it. We live very much in the era of privacy invasions, data thefts. There's a lot of concern about our information, uh, especially amongst our, our listeners, I believe. So here we're dealing in personal medical information. I mean, how are you approaching these, I think, very well-known privacy concerns? That's, that's one of the core questions that this project has to face and, and find solutions for, I guess. So uh, obviously um, we anonymize all the information. So we really want to keep it free of um, the information that identifies you as a person. But of course, uh, there have been already studies showing 
that are given a, a sufficiently large set of information and um, different sources of, of data, you might be identified. Um, so the, the risk will always be around in a way. There's a lot of security measures that you could take um, for how you transmit the data and um, how you, for example, maybe not collect um, something like the date of birth, which is a, you know uh, helps a lot when you want to identify somebody in person. But uh, the year of birth might be sufficient and, and not um, impact the quality of data. There needs to be um, more specialists um, involved who, who know about data security to um, think about all the schemes that we could apply without compromising the, the benefit that we could get out of sharing this data. So in many ways, you're still putting the call out for people who want to work on this particular area of the project. Uh, I have to ask, this being Source Code Berlin, uh, does it matter that you're doing this work uh, on this project, developing this platform in Berlin? Yeah, well, um, Berlin is definitely a good place to uh, start such a project or probably any other project because um, there's a great mix of people. And especially in the farm, there's so much, there's been so much support for the project. And I've met really um, like a lot of people that inspired me and helped me to think through, uh, through problems and actually helped the, the, the project um, advance, like uh, Jenny Otilia, who has been doing a lot of design work, which also helped me become more clear about certain things about how the whole thing can work. We have uh, a teammate, uh, she's, she's Mexican and is doing uh, a master thesis here um, and just happened to hear about the project over uh, an intern who's working in another project here in the farm. Of course, since, since it's Berlin based, most people come from the area um, and I actually invited a lot of friends and people I connected with to join the project. But uh, we also received support from people from abroad, like in the UK, which is through connections that also come from the farm, actually. And um, when I went to Paris for the, for the WeShare Fest, I met uh, Scott Heifman, the founder of Meetup, and was talking to him. And he liked the idea very much. And... Um, offered me a, a free meetup. So we're actually having a meetup group now and people are joining and it's definitely people from, from uh, different countries, but they all live in Berlin, which is not surprising. There's another guy from the States. So I, in general, like creating the project, uh, mostly English speaking, um, also like, you know, it invites basically people from all over the place. And I think that's important.
I wanted to come back to the example that we started the program with today and someone you're familiar with, uh, Tal Goldsworthy. Now, I can't legally play his TED Talks on the podcast, but I played it for you off the air. I mean, this man fixed his own heart and he's been using his own case to show the importance of empowering patients, of having access to information uh, globally and, and the power of these discussions and sharing of this expertise. I'm, I'm sure you're much more familiar with Tal than I am. It's an amazing case, uh, and, and there will be links that people can follow later. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, what about that? The resources, the costs uh, in the project that you're undertaking and, and related projects, um, how to afford it? I know there's a crowdfunding campaign going on right now, uh, but I really wanted to hear about the, both the funding and, and the resources behind such projects. You know what? What Charles Goldworthy um, said is is really remarkable about this whole um, getting together all these different types of knowledge and how that enables you to move fast and produce great results on low budget. Like um, it reminds me of a, of another company that does crowdsourcing for science, and actually they found out that the best solutions did not come from people who were. Um, experts in the field of the original problem domain, but coming from somewhere else. Um, and and as for the money, like uh, I basically ended up um, not having any financial resources anymore, and I wanted to go out and see how people respond. It was just trying to reach out and and see how how people react to it and. Um, I think the model of, of crowdfunding um, or, or receiving funding by donations is the, the right model for this project because it needs to be free of financial interests of, you know, any company or, or, or let's say, um, market-oriented um, organization. And... Um, I had little experience with it, and I think I approached it very naively, but still, you know, it made you find me, and it um, made um, made me feel the support of, of my friends and of strangers. Actually, one of the first donators was a stranger, um, and... Like in the end, I, I don't know if I can consider this fundraising campaign a success or or whatever I don't I think it's it's not so important the importance is that the message is out and there's been some great feedback and um, there will be um, there will be another like new approaches to it and I actually was starting this campaign to fund myself um, I ended up finding um, a way of doing that differently with my own work um, so the money that comes in will go to the team, to the other people. But I also like the idea of, of working for the project uh, without any financial interest. And it's been amazing like what we have achieved without uh, almost like, any money. Uh, as, a, as a software engineer, I'm in, in a very privileged position of um, being able to choose my work, getting a job like very quickly, and with like, very good financial rewards. So uh, for me, it is actually a model to, um, to split 
my the time and, and resources I have to financing myself and actually have it being able to finance another project and then dedicating the rest of my time to 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 this project. I mean, I did it for about eight months that I founded it on, on my own money. And it wouldn't have been possible if I were, let's say, a social worker who does incredibly important work, but is not rewarded financially in the way it should be. Indeed, as I browse through your GitHub page, where I've been combing it for a few days now for different information, and you have this impressive list of crowd-fueled, funded uh, projects, medical platforms. It's an impressive list uh, from all different corners of the world, very diverse, especially in terms of mission. Yeah, I, I, I was also overwhelmed by uh, the the amount of, of platforms and projects that are already out there picking up on some of the ideas, right? Like CureCrowd um, doing this crowdsource data collection um, around medical conditions or uh, patients like me, which is probably one of the most advanced uh, platforms um, that has been around for quite a while. And they also published some papers on their impact and, and, and how, how this actually has like a value that you can kind of scientifically measure. Um, but the problem is patients like me is very commercial and around like very, very close to, to pharma companies. They are open about it, but it's their model. Um, and, and Cure Crowd, I'm not sure about their data model and like all of the other platforms, they all, um, show that there is a great demand and, and there's great engagement. Um, but I actually feel, um, I hope I'm not condescending here, but uh, I actually feel that um, each each model, each platform lacks a certain idea. And I'm, I wanted to put this all together. I, for example, like definitely make it nonprofit, definitely make it a crowdsourced model, and then getting the data model right. And then making it open open source actually i've not found like any platform that was developed open source where you could actually look in the source code you could look into a lot of information but i have not found any like uh, relevant code base out there and i think that's also important because a lot will be about algorithms and everything so um this project is meant to be the place where these things meet and I think by the time is ripe, and it's just you know putting all of what is already there together and start like trying to make it one project. The time is indeed right, and uh, you're not alone in that uh, thinking and that observation. I wanted to share with you a clip that I can play on today's podcast. Uh, this is a pioneer himself, a cancer survivor, who also took choices about his care and information about his care into his own hands. I'm talking about e-patient Dave. This clip comes to us uh, recorded just at the end of last year at the Mayo Clinic in the United States. Let's take a listen. So the Institute of Medicine in 2012, in, in this 380-page report they published, Best Care at Lower Cost, they said that uh, the future of medicine has to be, the words they used were anchored on patient needs and perspectives. So now we have like this authority at the top of academic medicine saying that the patient's way of viewing things is of foundational importance. 
So now think about any other industry. New research shows that a particular component now is vital, like there's a new cornerstone, you know, to the way you do your business. That's e-patient Dave talking with Greg Matthews at the Mayo Clinic late last year. A change in the industry. It sounds like all good news here that the industry is waking up to uh, doing the very things you're talking about uh, for empowering patients and giving them more information and access to their information and to uh, useful data. So it seems like everything is fine, or at least we're heading that way. I think that the uh, medical industry starts listening to to the patients is is great, but um, I also think that it is just a natural way of um, this this model to respond to a need that is actually there. I mean, microids are actually designed to pick up needs of their customers, and patients uh, or people. Yeah, people are seen as customers from the perspective of a for-profit medical provider. And um, for me personally, there's something deeply wrong with that. I think we have seen examples of, of communities doing it differently and emphasizing on other values. And there's a lot of criticism about, you know, liberal markets. And we do see that they're not working to produce the best results for the overall good. And there's this whole movement of commons coming up and there's a transition movement and there are people trying to reinforce and, you know, um, other values than the ones uh, that are uh, very dominant in this capitalist society. A change in the industry now is the time, Benjamin Diedrichson, Open MediAid. Uh, as we approach the end of the program today, so many interesting avenues to to study and watch when it comes to this whole platform and this movement, really, around the world. But I wanted to ask, is there is there something else that we should not forget or that you want to share when it comes to the Open MediAid initiative? I'll provide a link, of course, in the show notes, including links to uh, both uh, video clips, uh, and including the entire speeches, which I didn't share here, uh, from both uh, activists or, or living examples that we've talked about. But uh, please do add, if anything, uh, something you want to also say today. Actually, I, I just want to thank um, the people who have been uh, involved in the whole process of making it happen. Like my friends who've supported me, who've um, borrowed me money. Um, who who have uh, supported the fundraising campaign, um, who donated work and and, and like, who supported me personally <laughs> when I was uh, just overwhelmed by the task, and um, to the people who are currently in the team, and uh, especially to Yanni, who has um, um, who has helped a lot doing good design work and and supported me as well personally and. Um, to Richard, who um, just dedicates a lot of effort and his whole heart to the project. There you have it, a, a major change in the world of medicine and the internet and how we get our information and what we know about our conditions, the many people in this world that live with chronic conditions. It's a very common reality. For more information, you can go to our website. That's, of course, source code 
Berlin, and there you'll find links to Open Medi Aid. The crowdfunding campaign is still going on, and you can be a part of that. Or you can get in touch with Benjamin Diedrichson, as he mentioned, still a lot of areas that he wants to know more about, that he's looking for more people to cooperate with. Uh, so look for that. Some final but always useful notes uh, for today's program. First of all, Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast. You can find us at the previously mentioned website, sourcecode.berlin, or there's Facebook. If you're into that, we are there. And if you like Twitter, at SRC Code Berlin, lots of things going on there, tweets, conversations, maybe you'd like to be a part of it. Music on today's podcast was by Kai Engel and available via a CC license on the Free Music Archive. This podcast is published under a CC BYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Renderu. Thanks for listening. Opening windows does not change anything. Yeah, yeah.